Dorothy and Rhoda, that's gorgeous. My anchor holds. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it great? Yeah. Give him a big hand. Wonderful. <laughs> well, it's great to be back with you after we gone seven weeks and seeing all of you here. I'm glad the ministry keeps moving on. You better. And I'm truly thankful this wonderful night for all the joy and rejoicing in our hearts to be together. And may this be a wonderful night to bless all of our people, not only those that are here at International and those who have dialed a Sunday night, but all the peoples of all the nations of the world, that the greatness of your word may again reach out and live in our day and time. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. God bless. You may be seated, please. Take your Bibles tonight and please go to First John, chapter 4. Coming back to International after being gone almost seven weeks. It was a delightful joy meeting with the board of trustees and hearing all the things that were being carried on and completed here in our staff and among our people. And I was tremendously blessed seeing the beautiful ground. And tonight, I was thinking about how our believing in our ministry is just growing and individuals are developing. It's like a small child that the crooks have over here. And how old is he? Three months. See, one day he'll be as big as daddy. But it, it is a time of development. And it's like that spiritually. Oh, how I wish that the moment people were born again, they could just mature immediately and tap in. But I have learned in my years in the ministry that that is seldom true. Most people take a period of time to grow. Then they grow a little bit, and then occasionally they have a little backsliding or whatever you do in the Old Testament. And then they catch themselves and they start up again. And what a wonderful day it is when even we have the privilege and the joy of living a whole day with just believing God. You're sitting on those chairs tonight. <laughs> I'll bet not a one of you, when you sat down, ever gave it a thought if that chair would hold you. Did you not? <laughs> we, just, we just never think about that. Will the chair hold me? We simply believe. We just use it. We just sit down on it, never give it a thought. Just use it. And I was thinking how tremendous it would be if we could all rise up in the spiritual walk with God where we'd be equally God conscious that he sustains and upholds, delivers, magnifies himself to us and trust him as implicitly as we trust the chairs we sat on tonight. Never had a question about it. Never had a doubt. You didn't worry about whether you'd fall off of it. Man, and that's only a chair. It's a census thing. In the census world, God is more real than that chair. And when people rise up to those great believing privileges of trusting God and being God conscious 
at least equally with what you're conscious of when you sit down on a chair or do many other things, then we would constantly continue to manifest the more abundant life. Then we would be walking in that super conquerors, being more than conquerors as believers all the time. In John 4, in verse 4, is a verse of scripture I just want you to soak up tonight, to think about. Look at verse 4. Ye are of whom? Lordy Pete, just think of that. You are of God. You're of God. God is your father. God is my father. We are of God. My first birth, I was of Mr. and Mrs. Ernst Werwell. My father was Ernst Werwell. He was my father. He loved me. He did things for me. People, how much more God would do. You are of God. You are of him. You're his. Ye are of God, little children. And you have overcome them. The them are the spiritual devilish things of the world. Because greater is God in you than all those devilish things where? Right. Boy, just soak that up. You are of God. You are of God. The world will tell you just the opposite, honey. They'll not talk about God. They'll talk about all the bad things. But the word says you are of God. Just think about it. Man, it makes you feel like standing up and shouting. <laughs> Throw your shoulders back and breathe. You are of God. You're of God. <laughs> you know, usually when somebody rises up who really believes God, your wonderful neighbors and people surrounding you will most likely say that you're beside yourself. They say you're sort of touched in the head. You've got too much religion is what they say, huh? And the real truth is you're not beside yourself. You're simply beside the master. And that's a good place to be. So, Hebrews 10, please. Let's flip back a book or two. Hebrews 10 has a verse in it. That every time I read it, I think of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was hanging upon the cross and he declared those great three words, it is finished. Every time I read this in Hebrews or I think of those words of Jesus Christ, it is finished, I literally get chills running up and down my spine because of the immensity of it, the greatness of it. Here in Hebrews chapter 10 is this great 12th verse, 12th verse of Hebrews 10. But this man, this man who, Christ Jesus, not God, but Christ Jesus, God's only begotten son, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, one sacrifice for sins, forever, 
For it is not a Christ mass day after day. This man, after he had once offered his sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. He, Jesus Christ, the man, did a one-time act, and he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, Jesus Christ did not do that for himself. He did it for you. That's what he did it for. He did it for you. He didn't do it for himself. He didn't have to do it for himself because he was without sin. He walked with that perfect believing, that trust in God all the time. And he paid the price for us. And he sat down on the right hand of God, the hand of blessing. Boy, what a tremendous thing. You've got to just soak some of that up. <laughs> In Hebrews 4. You see, it's finished. He did it for us. Hebrews 4 always electrifies my soul when I read the third verse and the opening part of it. For we who have believed. We who have believed. Do enter into what? Rest. We who have believed. We enter into rest. You see. It's the end of all worry. It's the end of all struggle. It's the end of. Trying to work on yourself to be better all the time. It's the end of all frustrations, all anxieties. For we which have believed do enter. Not a maybe about it, it's an active verb. We do absolutely enter into what? Rest. And it's no longer, honey, a question of biting our fingernails to the second up. It's no longer getting all concerned about what the news media says or somebody else says. It's getting concerned about what God says and what his word says. For we are what the word of God says we are. And we have what the word of God says we have. He ascended. He sat down at the right hand of God. And we who believe enter into that rest. Boy, oh boy. Someday somebody's got to believe that again. It's the word, the word, the word. <laughs> See, it's no longer a struggle. It's no longer anxiety, fears, or frustrations. It's just a matter of believing and again saying, Thus saith the Lord. You see, people, the work that Jesus Christ did for you, He now has done in you. Just a tremendous thing. <laughs> and that's why the roaring of the old adversary doesn't disturb you anymore. Doesn't upset your liver or your stomach. The roaring of the enemy, the, the Satan and all that stuff, you don't get disturbed about. 
For you have what the word of God says you have. You are what the word of God says you are. Boy, that's the word. We need to magnify the word in our lives. The world magnifies the adversary and all the negatives. We need to emphasize the positive greatness of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us as God's only begotten Son. That's why you and I have to become masters of the Scripture. And the Scripture has to become our master. In Philippians chapter 4, every time I read these verses in here, I just get so turned on and so blessed. And it brings a great deliverance to my soul. It quiets my heart. It gets me peaceful in my walk with God in the world in which we live. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be careful, and the word careful is anxious for nothing. Do not have any anxiety about anything. You know, you could think of the scriptures in the Gospels like Matthew about the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. If God so clothe them, how much more, O ye of little believing? See, if God will take care of the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, the grass and everything else, how much more of his sons and of his daughters? That's why, why are we anxious? Why get all shook? Be filled with anxiety. No reason for it. For God in Jesus Christ is in you. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, minute by minute, moment by moment, day after day, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto whom? Not the government. Right. Not your next door neighbor. George Mueller was such an inspiration to my young heart many, many years ago in the early part of my ministry. Because I'd never read a man, I'd never heard of a man in all my theological work. I'd never heard of a man who simply prayed and believed God. George Mueller was such a man. He would never ask a man for anything to contribute anything to his orphanages. When he needed anything, he just got quiet and prayed about it. And if somebody else had talked to another man and said, well, I think George Miller needs some money, and he would get a bank note, the pounds that were given to him, he'd send it back to him. Oh, he was an inspiration in my heart. He was not anxious for everything, but in, in, in thanksgiving, prayer, he made his request known unto whom? God is still our sufficiency. You just have to go to him, honey. Sir, you just got to go to him. He is our sufficiency. The sufficiency of every individual as well as the ministry God set within our hearts and souls and lives. 
God is our sufficiency. Well, verse 7. And the what? Peace of God. The peace of God. Not the anger. Not the wrath of God. Not God sitting up there and beating people over the head to be, make them good. But the peace of God passes all understanding. Which also indicates it passes all misunderstanding. Shall absolute tense. Keep. Keep, keep. And that word keep is interesting, Stuttgart. Very interesting. Because the word is a military word, garrison. That's the word. God fights for us. He bears his arm. That's right. God, God shall keep garrison your heart. And garrison your what? Through whom? Who is seated at the right hand. Boy what a deal. <laughs> how fantastic. How great. And how far we live below par. Because first of all nobody taught it to us. And you can't believe beyond what you're taught. And all over the world today. Christians are living so encased in fear. And worry and anxiety. And frustration and defeat. Because nobody has ever dared to teach them the word. Because basically the denominations have used fear to hold their people in captivity. The way to hold people is not with fear, but with the love of God. Turn them loose. Teach them the greatness of the word. Let them walk with the power of God. That's what makes an individual an individual. A woman, a woman, a man, a man. Turn them loose with God. Boy, what a day. What a time. Well, he's going to. Garrison your hearts and your minds <laughs> through Christ Jesus. The great ace verse finally when it's all over with brethren. <laughs> so every things are what? True, right? So every things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, good report. If there be virtue, think on what? Think right. Think right. You know, it's just as easy to think good as it is evil. But we have been so trained to think evil that we're more susceptible to thinking evil. But suppose you were trained to think good, then you'd be just as susceptible to thinking good. And you think on these things. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? You finally arrived at this. It says, thinketh no what? Evil. It's quite a deal, isn't it? Think on these things. Take a look at First Peter. Hebrews, James. This one in First Peter. Well, if you need to look it up. First Peter 5, 7. Casting all your what? Right. Casting all your. Not your neighbors. Casting all what? Your. It's yours, personally yours. And the word care is the word anxiety in the text. Right. Casting all your anxiety, all your care upon whom? For he does what? Careth for you. Boy, that's it. 
What a tremendous thing. Casting all your, all of, all of them. It does not say 99%. Doesn't say 51. Seldom people even get it, get up to 51%. It says all. And what's the word all be? Not 99%, 100%. Casting all your care. Anything that would make you anxious. Casting upon whom? Him. For he what? Careth for you. Jesus Christ, he careth for you. He paid the price. It's finished. <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ knew he was God's son. And Jesus Christ also knew that he had the righteousness of God. I wonder how many of you really know that you are God's sons. Really know. And that you have the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ was God's only begotten son, but you and I are sons of whom? Beloved, First John, now are we, what? The sons of God. And we have the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ knew this, sir, that he was a son of God. He knew he had the righteousness of God. And what did he do? Fantastic. <laughs> Oh, that Hebrews. I gotta go back there. Hebrews 4. Maybe I should have given it to you early, but maybe not, evidently not. <laughs> Boy, here's a verse in here. God would never have given us had he not expected us to utilize it. Jesus Christ would never have made it available had he not expected us to act the part. And to take our place and believe. Because it belongs to us. Look at verse 16. 416. Let us therefore come what? Boldly. He'd have never given us that if he didn't expect us to do this. To take our place there at the throne of what? Come boldly to the throne of what? People, not the throne of wrath or anger or destruction or anxiety or defeat or fear or any, but the throne of what? Grace. Grace. God's love perpendicular to man through his wonderful son, Jesus Christ. Boy, that we might obtain mercy and find grace in, and help to help in the time of what? need. Boy, we come boldly at the time of need to the throne of God. God is our sufficiency. I remember the years back when I was talked out of John chapter 11. You know, nobody believed it in my day. Nobody in any theological seminary that I attended outside of Mission House believed it. And I remember as I read the Gospel of John at the University of Chicago Divinity School with the Greek professor in Greek that he sort of made fun of sections of the Word of God but that one in John 11 was so far out, he said, it could never have happened. Well, 
can't believe beyond what you're what. So I believed that until one day I learned better. And tonight I believe that John 11 sits there like a diamond to teach us something that hardly anybody would ever dare to think about except those of us who are coming back to God's Word and believing that God's Word is the will of God and that we are what the Word of God says we are and that Jesus Christ said, The works that I do, ye shall do also. John 11. I'm going to read a little of it. It's in the book. <laughs> Bless your heart. You're wonderful. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Boy, when I read this, I see heart. You know, I see tenderness. That Mary was quite a woman. Quite a woman. Therefore his sister sent unto him, unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest, your friend Lazarus, whom you love, is what? Sick. And Jesus heard that. He said, this sickness is not unto death, period. But that the glory of God, the Son of God, might be glorified thereby, the, the raising of it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that Lazarus was sick, he abode yet two days still in the same place where he was. One would have thought if he really loved him, he'd have got his skateboard and started off. <laughs> Neatest thing I saw today is the Allen boys and little Ralph coming down the blacktop over here. One of the Allen boys had a skateboard and all the boys had fishing poles and they were headed toward the pond. I said that's the picture of the day, but nobody ever has cameras when the great pictures are available. One would have thought if Jesus really loved Lazarus, he'd have headed out right now, right? He did not move beyond the revelation yet. Word of knowledge and word of wisdom. Tremendous thing. He was the Son of God. He believed God. And in order to believe God, you need the knowledge the advanced class teaches. And then you need a lot more to practice to walk on it. So you walk by the Spirit and not by your stupid senses all the time. Jesus hung in there for two more days. And after that, he said to his disciples, Well, let's go to Judea. And his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. Now you want to go? <laughs> They're going to get you, man, if you go now. <laughs> it's so human, isn't it? These were his wonderful friends. The people, they really loved him to a certain degree, but not enough to believe what he fully said. Jesus said, let's go to Judea. The disciples said, okay, Lord, let's head out, man. They said, oh, no, just think about Jesus. They've been after you to stone you. If you get in there now, they may give it to you. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not. Because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. That's, he was telling them light was revelation. If you don't have revelation, you stumble around darkness. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, 
but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. After two days, he said that. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, that's good for him. He needs to rest a little. <laughs> you know, have a little siesta is okay with him. How, how be it Jesus spake of his death? But they thought it he spoken of taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is what? Dead. No, Lazarus is what? Dead. Gosh, when I read that, I got chills drawn. Dead man. And Jesus headed that direction. What's he going to do? Makes you nervous thinking about it. And there's the enemy, you know, ready to get him because they're looking for Jesus to crucify him and to hurt him. Yet he walks like right into the mouth of the lion where angels fear to tread or something. Revelation. Well, and he said, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there to the intent that now maybe you'll learn something and you'll believe. <laughs> Nevertheless, let's get going. Then said Thomas, who is called Didymus, and it's a great Tom, he's beautiful. He said to his fellow disciples, his core buddies around him, he said, well, fellows, let's go. We'll just die with him too. <laughs> and when Jesus came, oh no. He found that Lazarus had laid in the grave four days already. Gosh. <laughs> you know, dead isn't bad. But dead four days, that's terrible. He's not only dead, but he's been dead for four days. And in four days, disintegration has set in. Golly, 60. Ooh, what we've, we've, four days. Man, he should have turned around headed the other way. And sends chills down your spine. Well, then we have a little extra light thrown in. Bethany was not in Jerusalem, a little over a mile and a half. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Lazarus was a top quality man, well known. There they were. They came over to comfort Mary and Martha, but they were looking for Jesus too. Now Jesus coming in. Then Martha as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary, she stayed at the house yet. Then said Martha unto Jesus. Martha said it, not Jesus. Now remember who said it. Martha said it. Lord, if thou'd been here, my brother had not died. Martha said that, not Jesus. There are people who died when Jesus was present. It was Martha who said this, not Jesus. But I know, she said, that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Man, what a believing. What a woman. What a woman. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, and her theology was much more accurate than all the denominational theologies that I've run into in our day and time. Why don't they read the book? Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the rot resurrection at the last one. 
Martha didn't say he's flitting around up in heaven smoking 50 cent or dollar cigars. He's not up there. Martha knew better than that. She knew there would be nobody alive or getting up without a what. And this is Israel we're talking about. Before the day of Pentecost. Boy, someday this has got to hit you. What men and women believe, servants of God believe. How much more you would have, have as sons of God. <laughs> Jesus saith unto her, I'm the resurrection. And the life. And that means that this you have to tie together with the return of Christ after the gathering of the church when there is that resurrection. That's what he's talking to. I'm the resurrection. When Jesus Christ comes back, they get up. Resurrection, Israel, believers of Israel. And he that believeth in me, though he's dead, when that time comes, he's going to what? And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, now, at the time of that resurrection, shall never again do us. And he said, Martha, believest thou this? <laughs> and she never answered the question. She simply, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the son of whom, which should come into the living. Martha did not believe he was God. She, be she believed he was the son of what? <laughs> when she had so said, she went away. And I don't think she walked slow, slowly. She hot-footed it back. And she went to see Mary, her sister. And she whispered in her ear and said, Master is come. And the master has asked, Where are, where's my Mary? As soon as she heard that, Mary arose quickly. And hurried unto him, came out unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. Then, here we go, the Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily, went out following her, saying, Oh, she goeth on the grave to weep there. See how wrong they were. She didn't go to the grave, she went to meet the master. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at Jesus' feet, saying unto him, Lord, same as Martha, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But Mary said, not Jesus. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit of him and was troubled, groaning in the spirit was a heaviness in his soul. And he was just, it was a heavy situation, a heavy time. I can imagine this, not only is a man dead, but he's dead four years, four, four days. And it's your one of your wonderful friends, the brother of two of the most beautiful women of that time, Mary and Martha. <laughs> verse 35, the shortest verse in scriptures, Jesus wrote. I don't think God has tears, spirit. Jesus Christ, the man that we read about, he was so human, 
so wonderfully human that he just identified with people and he cried, he wept. The original text says, includes the word tears. He wept tears. In that little moisture in the eyeball, he wept tears. It was his wonderful friend Lazarus that was dead. And the beautiful sisters, Mary and Martha, were so hurt. Verse 34. And said, Where have you laid him? They said, Come and see. Jesus wept. Then 36 said the Jews, Behold how he, Jesus, loved him. And some of them said, Could not this God? No. Could not this what? Man who opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have what? Boy, oh boy. The old devil's always after him, isn't he? This is not the true spirit of God saying this. This is people who are being influenced wrongly. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have caused that this man should not have what? Died. Jesus, therefore, again, deeply moved in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and there's a big old stone covering it. Oh, gosh, have you ever just walked with him there? You get nervous. Just thinking about it, I get nervous. Suppose it doesn't happen. That's right. Has never happened before. Suppose it doesn't happen now. He's headed toward the grave in which a man lays who's been dead four days. God, he's going to make a fool of himself. He's going to be stupid. You see, I just get so excited about this thing. Like a burning coal in my soul. Oh, my. Even a stone laid on it. And Jesus said in verse 39, Fellas, get rid of that stone. Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who was dead, said on him, But Lord, by this time he stinketh. He's been dead for a day. Man, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest, wouldest do what? Believe that thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Lord, you think about saying a prayer. You get nervous about thinking, is it going to happen or isn't it? following Jesus to this grave in my mind and in my heart. I read these things and I look at my life and I say how far below par I've lived. How I wish I could be the man that I know the word sets forth. And he prays. And he says, You God way out yonder. No, he says, Father. Father, Father, <laughs> boy, isn't that wonderful? He said, Father, 
I thank thee that thou hast, past tense already heard me, and he hasn't even finished the prayer. Man, you talk about believing. You talk about he knowing that he was the son of the father, that he had the righteousness of God. He was not full of fear, worry, anxiety, frustration. He knew who he was. He believed God's word. He believed what God said. And God said, Thou art my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Father, I thank you that you heard me. And I know that thou hearest me always. Come boldly, remember. Jesus Christ came boldly and he knew who he was and he knew his father always heard him. Didn't have to beg him. Didn't have to, you know, count his beads or all the rest of the junk, put money in the altar. Didn't have to do any of that. He just knew who he was and that his father and knew, loved him and he knew that his father heard him. But, he says, because of the people that stand by, I'm praying it out loud so they can hear it too. That they may believe that thou hast what? Sent me. You too are sent by God. God has his stamp on you. He's commissioned you. He sent you. You too are commissioned. People need to know that you're sent by God. Not by BP, Werewolf, or the way ministry of the government or anything else, but that God sent you. You are the daughter of God. You're the son of God. God sent you. He is your father. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice. Not because Lazarus couldn't hear. It was just the excitement, the believing, the dynamic of the moment. He cried with a loud voice. And oh, these three words just Unbelievable and great. Man dead for four days in the grave, sealed up. He stinketh. And Jesus stands. Suppose it doesn't happen. Boy stood there. And he said, Lazarus, get out of there. Come on forth. Boy, boy. Oh. And Lazarus, verse 45, who was dead, came forth. <laughs> but he was bound, still hand and foot. Gosh, he got life, but he never got him unbound. He must have forgot the right word to pray or something. You see, it's too big for my mind to comprehend, it's not too big for me to apprehend and to believe. I believe this with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. I believe this is exactly what my Savior did. Because he was God's only begotten Son. He knew who he was. He knew he had been the righteousness of God. He knew that he always did the will of hope. I always do my what? Father's will. I and my father are one. We are in cahoots. That's right. We walk hand in hand, honey. And when you do God's word, 
your hand is in his hand. When you walk with the heart of love, your heart is his heart. When you speak the word, you're speaking God, the Father's word to the needs of the world and the people. He came forth, bound hand and foot. Faith was bound with a napkin, Jesus. Uh, loose him and let him go. What a record. What a tremendous reality of truth. I have not seen in my lifetime believing rise up to this. God, I'd love to see it. Love to see it in myself. I don't know what I have to do anymore to build it. I have seen on two occasions people who have died brought back to life. But nobody dead four days. But he is my Savior. He is my Lord. And he is the one who said the works that I do, you can do also. Ladies and gentlemen, someday, somehow I'm believing to see again the greatness of the power of God. To live in our day and in our time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and to do that you've got to get beyond the period of being worried being full of anxiety with all the struggles going on you just have to get to the place that you know that you know that you know you are his son or his daughter that God so loved that he gave and you in turn so loved that you give Our ministry that God has committed unto us has barely begun to scratch the surface of the magnitude of the greatness of the power of God available in every born again believer because of what God did for you in Christ Jesus and what Christ Jesus wrought for you in you. For it is Christ in you, the hope of God. Amen, boy. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, it's just a tremendous word. Gosh, how I thank you, Father, for the joy and privilege of teaching it and burning it so in our hearts and lives that tonight we're better than ever before. And tomorrow will be even better than tonight. And making every day just a great stepping stone of believing to move forth with the power of God. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.